Amen. Good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to our Uptown Worship Service. Uh, thank you, Terry, for leading us into praise, and uh, Henry for that wonderful prayer. And I can definitely affirm the things that Henry prayed about. Um, I know that these have been very difficult times, and we're going to spend some time praying later during this worship service um, for some of these specific topics. And um, we've also been praying through these things throughout the week and also during our Monday evening prayer meetings, which have been very encouraging. But I do want to encourage everybody, uh, even last night we had our monthly officers meeting with all the deacons and our Sister Abby, the Children's Ministry Director. In the first 30 minutes, we were just talking and about how God has been clearly at work in our community. And although it has been difficult, we've just been celebrating for 30 minutes of different ways that people have been extending love to one another, whether it's through prayer, fasting, whether it's sending care packages, dropping off meals, um, really just being there for one another during these difficult times. And uh, we definitely sense how the Holy Spirit is definitely doing a wonderful work. And we're able to experience what a church community is supposed to be despite these severe limitations. So all this to say is uh, there is a lot to pray for, but we also need to take a moment and to take a step back and really celebrate what God is already doing. And that actually motivates us to pray even more urgently for some of the problems that still exist in our community. Um, so last week, we had the wonderful privilege of hearing the vision message for 2021 from the senior pastor, Pastor Jason No, And that really launches a new sermon series on the Holy Spirit. So um, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit for the next few months. And I know the Holy Spirit can be a very vague topic. Some of us may have a very mystical understanding of the Holy Spirit. So in our questions, uh, feel free to text them away if you have any misunderstandings, questions about the Holy Spirit. In our small group also, we've designed small group questions. And the first question is, do you have any misunderstandings or questions about the Holy Spirit? Please compile a list of them in each one of your small groups. Send them my way because um, that might help in terms of preparing for some of the sermons and looking out for some of the open questions that are already out there. But yes, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit uh, many times in references and also really just the centrality of the Holy Spirit when we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I don't think we've ever done a sermon series dedicated on him. And I think it's that much more needed because obviously he plays such a vital role in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we will um, learn over the next few months. Uh, the title of today's sermon is a little cheeky, a little provocative, but it actually comes really from Jesus' own words, as, I'll, as I will explain. Is there something or someone better than Jesus? Uh, obviously, Jesus Christ is the key to the gospel, is truly the ultimate solution to all of our lives. He is the fundamental, ultimate joy, the source of life. But is there something or someone better than Jesus? Um, because from Jesus' own lips, he actually does imply that. And we're going to talk about that in a way for us to appreciate the Holy Spirit even more. But before we even go there, I do understand that there are a lot of misunderstandings of the Holy Spirit. Some of us may regard the Holy Spirit as some impersonal, distant force that enables us to do the right thing. Uh, some of us may look at the Holy Spirit as the agent that enables miraculous things, for instance, healing or prophetic words or very divine revelatory visions. 
Or we may look at the Holy Spirit as just some type of aura that influences us, um, motivates us. And in some ways, some of those understandings of the Holy Spirit are true, but they don't really capture the heart of what or who the Holy Spirit is. So in today's passage, we're going to look at John one verse from chapter 15 and some verses in chapter 16. And from Jesus' own lips, we're going to step by step take a look at what is, what, who is the Holy Spirit and how is He so important and how should we be looking at Him in the ways that we walk with Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to read the passage afterwards and then we'll begin. Father, uh, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you that your word is so clear in the areas that are so important. And when we think about the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, and living in light of that, um, Lord, there are so many misunderstandings. Even the gospel, even Jesus, even the Holy Spirit, we distort, we misunderstand. So we thank you for your word, and we thank you for moments like this where you can really direct us to a proper understanding of who he is um, and thereby allowing us to better recognize how he is so present and active in our lives and that will enable us to make better sense of what you're trying to do in our lives and how we can depend on you all the more and experience your joy throughout our everyday situations so holy spirit please convict us only you can transform our minds. Only you can touch our hearts. So we look to you at this moment. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So let me read for us the passage in John chapter 16. Uh, I know for some of us we may not be familiar with this passage. So just the basic context is this is near the end of Jesus' earthly life. And he knows that he's about to die on that cross for our sin. And he has a huge burden for his disciples, whom he has been sharing his life with over the past three years. He's been investing into them, and he recognizes that these disciples, minus Judas, are the ones that are going to carry over and transmit the gospel of Jesus Christ once he passes away and ascends to heaven. So there is tremendous urgency in Jesus, and he also senses a lot of sorrow and anxiety among his disciples. So this is what he writes in John chapter 16. But now I am going to him who sent me. And Jesus is saying, I am going to the father who originally sent him. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. So as I mentioned, there's a lot of sorrow, anxiety, heavy heartedness among the disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, which is a word for the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things. To say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
He will glorify me, which is Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Amen. And uh, some of these verses, especially the verses about the Spirit convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, some of those sayings of Jesus are a little enigmatic. So we're going to spend some time exploring, unpacking what do these things mean so that we have a much more biblically informed understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And that really brings us to the first misunderstanding that I want to address through the words of Jesus himself is the Holy Spirit is not an it, is not some distant impersonal force, is not some abstract entity. But the way Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a person. And from theological terms, when we think about the doctrine of the Trinity, three persons, one God, and we use the word person intentionally because a person entails that one person is relational, has emotions, has feelings, is not just some abstract, distant entity. And that's exactly the way Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. If you notice in one of these verses, verse 12, the Holy Spirit is one who guides us. And as we're going to take a look, as we zoom into verse uh, 5 and uh, 6 and 7, is notice that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper in verse 7. Not the most common word in the New Testament. Uh, Only John uses it, parakletos. And basically, helper implies that the Holy Spirit is not some abstract, impersonal force, but the Holy Spirit is a person because parakletos, uh, probably the most accurate way of translating it is he is an advocate. He is almost like a lawyer, a defendant. He is somebody who is defending us in court. And we can't do a deep dive in the Gospel of John, but in John and even in this passage, Lots of words that are used in a legal sense. These are technical words that John uses. And parakletos is another one of those. And parakletos is almost like a lawyer, an advocate, somebody who is going to defend you. That in the moment of need, where the judge is looking down at you, where the prosecutor is breathing down your neck, Jesus is saying, I am going to send you in the moment of your grief, In the moment of your anxiety, in the moment of you facing the pressures of life, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. And he is the best advocate of them all. When you think about the top-notch lawyers, this is the one that you want. And this lawyer, this advocate, this helper, this counselor guides you into all truth. He cares about you. He cares about your questions. He cares about the confusions, the doubts, the anxieties in your heart because he is a person. He's not some distant force. And also, as we read, Jesus understands that the disciples are sorrowful. It's not just an intellectual problem. It's not just a legal problem, but it is an emotional, relational problem that Jesus senses in his disciples. And what is Jesus' solution? is not presenting to the disciples some impersonal, distant entity, some abstract force, but he presents to them the Holy Spirit who is a person. Obviously, he is fully God. He is divine. And we're going to unpack that in the coming months. 
But I think the greater misunderstanding that we have, I think most of us understand the Holy Spirit as divine and God. And if you have a question about that, feel free to text that away. But I think most of us, the, the greater misunderstanding is we just think the Holy Spirit is some abstract entity, a helpful force, but not really a person. And that is so contrary to the way Jesus describes him, not it. And the reason why I make such a big fuss of that is when we recognize the Holy Spirit, and as we've been talking about, even especially throughout the summer, the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts. One of the most important blessings of the gospel is the Spirit is living inside of us. He is taking control progressively, reigning in our lives, and that's a glorious, majestic thing. But this Holy Spirit that is in us, His presence is in our hearts, all those who submit to the gospel and the Lordship of Jesus. It's not some impersonal force. It's not just some distant entity. It is a person. And he cares deeply for us. When we think about the language of an advocate or a lawyer, um, I think some of us, maybe you experienced personal situations where you really needed a lawyer. Um, but I think of, of movies. Uh, for instance, there was a movie that my family watched uh, during the Black Lives Matter, when that thing escalated with the social injustices, especially, um, you know, right during the pandemic this past year. Um, and one of the movies that we watch is called Just Mercy. And it's based on the 1980s. And there is a Harvard grad who becomes a lawyer. Top school, top education. He is one of the top people in this industry, in the legal industry, in the law. And this person, played by Jordan B., uh, Michael B. Jordan, Brian Stevenson, I think was a name in the movie, he moves to Alabama in the 1980s. And one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to fight racial injustice. And he meets this one person, I forget what his name was, but he was portrayed by Jamie Foxx. And this person was wrongfully framed for the death of somebody or the rape of somebody. And basically, he found himself in death row. And lawyer after lawyer tried to help Jamie Foxx get out of death row. But lawyer after lawyer, they failed. And a lot of these lawyers, they were just trying to exploit Jamie Foxx's situation. So they weren't really committed to helping him. They just wanted to receive lawyer fees and money. Um, but Michael B. Jordan, this person was different. Not only was he the most capable lawyer, but he actually loved Jamie Foxx. He actually had a heart, a concern, a burden to make sure that Jamie Foxx experiences freedom. And what we see in the movie is, I'm not going to give, give it away because I encourage you to watch it on your own. This, this lawyer, he is all consumed with trying to free and liberate Jamie Foxx from death row. He goes through many sleepless nights because he is investigating, exploring all different angles, analyzing the evidences, trying to see the loopholes, and all these different police reports that he is just studying. And that is the type of presence, the love that the Holy Spirit has upon for those who submit to the gospel of Jesus. This Holy Spirit, again, he's not some distant force, but this Holy Spirit is somebody who is deeply concerned. He loves us. 
He cares for us as a person does for another person. And unlike those other lawyers, those fraudulent lawyers, he is fully capable. And he is committed to making us more like Jesus Christ. Uh, Another misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit is um, inspired by the title of this sermon. And that really comes in what Jesus says. Is not only is the Holy Spirit not just an entity, but he is a person. He cares for us deeply. But Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Uh, I think a misunderstanding that many of us have is, you know what, Christian life is so difficult. And one of the reasons why Christian life is so difficult is because as much as I love Jesus, as much as I believe and I'm convicted that he is true, everything that he said was true, it's tough for me to live this life because I don't really see him physically. I can't really hear him audibly. I can't feel him physically. I can't see his body. Only if I lived in the days of Jesus' earthly life would my Christian life be so much better. I'm so jealous of the disciples. I'm so jealous of they actually got to hang out with Jesus. They actually got to see what his personality was like. And in many ways, I definitely empathize with that type of misunderstanding. Uh, It would have been wild to see Jesus' personality and see how he interacts in these really minute, real-life situations. But from Jesus' own lips, this isn't me making it up, he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is basically saying, it is better for me to be physically apart from you because that means that the Holy Spirit will be in you. Yes, it would have been really fascinating to walk alongside Jesus and to hear his teachings and to see with our own eyes the ways that he miraculously heals people and the ways that he loves people so sincerely. Yes, all those things would have been great. But those things don't actually transform our hearts. Even the disciples, they weren't really transformed by the physical presence of Jesus. What they needed in order for them to be transformed was the internal presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Just to make myself very clear, the physical presence of Jesus would have been great, but that doesn't transform our hearts. As great as Jesus' teachings were, as convincing as his miracles were, as loving as he was, his physical presence didn't transform anybody. Well, I mean, there are some exceptions, I guess, Lazarus, uh, some exceptions here and there. But as far as the disciples, true heart transformation did not exist until, as Jesus says himself, it was their advantage, until the Holy Spirit invaded into their hearts. Once the Holy Spirit penetrates into our hearts, that is when we can experience true life transformation. It is not enough for us just to rub shoulders with Jesus and be familiar with his teachings and to experience his miracles. We need his spirit to penetrate into our hearts and transform us from within. So Jesus is actually saying, Peter, James, John, I know you guys are truly sorrowful right now. And yes, Around the corner, you're going to be prosecuted by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. You're going to be put to test. Put to test. 
you're going to be put to trial. But it's actually to your advantage that I depart from you physically because that means my spirit will be with you internally. Will eventually give you the power will transform the way you think, will ultimately change your heart and your life. It is the internal presence is much better than the external physical presence of Jesus. And we see this throughout scripture, if you actually think about it, and if you read scripture carefully, Holy Spirit didn't just, is not just the new kid on the block who just steps into the scene in John chapter 16. Holy Spirit has been there from the very beginning. We're going to unpack some of this. Even in creation, even before creation, He is an eternal being. He is God Himself. But throughout Scripture, we see these two points, that it's better for us to have the internal presence of Jesus' Spirit than be in proximity with the physical presence of Jesus. Uh, even in Joseph, in the case of Joseph, as we had a sermon series earlier this year, we noted that Joseph, his ability to interpret dreams was not because he was just a very perceptive person, very insightful person. No, it says specifically in Genesis chapter 41, 38, and Pharaoh said to his servants about Joseph after Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Even the pagans recognized that Joseph's ability to interpret dreams was because the Spirit of God was upon him. Spirit was in him. Spirit is not just an entity, as I mentioned. He is a person. Not only is he just a person, but he is involved in specific tasks in our everyday situations, such as Joseph interpreting this dream for Pharaoh. Um, there are so many examples. Another example is David. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And basically, the highlighted text means that from that day forward, the Spirit was indwelling in David's heart, and when we think about David, you know, you don't have to grow up in the church to know some familiarity with his life. Everything that he did, every righteous act that he did, as it says, the Spirit was with him from that day forward. It implies that all those heroic acts, him slaying the Goliath, it wasn't because David was a great warrior, but it was because the Spirit was upon him. When he continually sought the face of God, when he wrote all those psalms, when he encourage people to praise God, all those little acts that he has done was because the Spirit was stirring in his heart. And David sensed that, and that's why he says in his prayer of repentance after the sin of Bathsheba, take not your spirit from me. David recognizes that all throughout his life, it was a spirit Every little detail of his life, every baby step towards righteousness, towards godly living, towards rightful, worshipful living, was because the Spirit was the one that was enabling him. Spirit has been at work throughout the course of human history. 
And it probably is clearest, even in the earthly life of Jesus himself. From Jesus' conception, all the way to Jesus' resurrection, Scripture is clear that it's because of the Spirit. Even Jesus' conception, or the conception of Jesus, was by the power of the Spirit. If you don't believe me, let me just show you some verses really quickly. And the angel answered Mary, which is Jesus' mother, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and because the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, Jesus, will be born, and he will be called holy, the Son of God. Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Even in Jesus' baptism, we see that the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to Jesus, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The Spirit of God was upon Jesus during his baptism as well. When Jesus was led to be tempted, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led, probably a better translation is he was casted into the wilderness by the Spirit. The Spirit is a part of Jesus' life. Every twist and turn, even when Jesus finishes his temptation, it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Even all of Jesus' miracles was fueled, empowered, enabled by the Spirit, as it says in Acts, and how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by evil, for God was with Him. And even Jesus' resurrection. Yes, the Father resurrected Jesus, but there are verses that also say that the Spirit also resurrected Jesus, as it says in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, that's why Jesus is saying it's more advantageous that he leaves because the same power of the spirit who resurrected Jesus is in us who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give us life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. And the point of all of these Bible verses, the point of me emphasizing these misunderstandings is for us to glory in this great blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us who submit to the gospel of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, it doesn't matter what your track record is. If you just believe and submit to the gospel of Jesus, this presence of the Holy Spirit, not just some entity, a person who actually cares for you, who's emotionally invested in you, who's intimate with you, who empathizes with our weaknesses, and this person who doesn't just empathize with us, but who is all-powerful, is God himself, is fully capable, who was enabling Joseph in his specific areas of life, of interpreting dreams. Every righteous thing that David did was enabled by the Spirit. Even Jesus' own life was attributed to the power of the Spirit. This same Spirit, who even resurrected Jesus from the grave, is living inside of us. That's a glorious thing. I know many of us are filled with much sorrow, as Jesus himself says about the disciples. But let me just warmly and gently echo Jesus' words. It is our advantage 
as the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. In other words, no matter what kind of sorrow we're experiencing, and yes, our community, we are beset by serious sorrow. There, there is no two ways about it. Death is a devastating, evil thing. But even that doesn't trump the great blessing that we have in the Holy Spirit dwelling in those who submit to the gospel of Jesus. Now, some of us may be wondering, <clears throat> okay, so biblically speaking, I see these verses, it's convincing. Holy Spirit is glorious. Holy Spirit dwells in those who submit to the gospel of Jesus. That's great. The Holy Spirit is very specific. He's intimate with every aspect of our lives. Every godly thing that I do, okay, you convince me. It's because of the Spirit, and I should be thankful. But my life doesn't feel like it's marked with much victory. My life doesn't feel like it's marked with much power that you speak of, that these verses imply. My life is very ordinary. I struggle with a lot of doubt. My faith in Jesus is very vulnerable, very shaky. Are you sure that the Spirit is living inside of me? I don't remember the last time I healed somebody. I don't remember the last time I experienced a divine vision. And this leads to the third misunderstanding that I think is gravely important for us to address. What is the purpose, ultimate primary purpose of the Holy Spirit? And when we see what Jesus has to say, it is a little shocking because again, think about it. Holy Spirit is God himself. He is fully capable with a snap of his finger. I mean, I guess he's a spirit, so he doesn't have a finger, but you understand. He could easily eradicate COVID-19 within a nanosecond. He could easily cure world poverty. He can easily establish global peace. He can easily do these things. He's God himself. And sometimes, because of that, we misunderstand the work of the Spirit because we don't experience these really crazy, divine, God-like types of power in our own lives. But that is because we misunderstand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself says in chapter 15, verse 26, but when the helper comes, again, advocate, lawyer, the parakletos, when he comes, I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And again, witness, the legal language, if you have questions about that, feel free to text that away. But for the purpose of this sermon, what I want to highlight here is Jesus saying, when the Spirit comes, out of all the things the Spirit can do, He will bear witness about me, Jesus. Uh, later on, as we read in verse 12, I believe, or verse 13, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will exalt me, Jesus. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Jesus Christ. Whether it is in our lives, whether it is in this world, whether it is in this uptown community, but the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit 
is to make Jesus known, exalted, adored, worshipped, loved, recognized. And that's why the Holy Spirit does things like miracles. It's not so that we can just look at miracles and be like, whoa, that was really cool. I have a great story to tell my friends. No, it's, wow, through that miracle, that's a window into Jesus' power. That's why the Holy Spirit sometimes presents divine visions and dreams. It's not because we have, again, a cool story to tell to somebody, but it's because that vision or dream should lead us into a greater recognition of Jesus. Now, the problem is, many times when we experience a miracle, a divine vision or whatever, we end up not focusing on Jesus. We end up focusing on the miracle or the vision. And that's why maybe sometimes we don't see as many of these miraculous things. Uh, I think it's more complicated than that. Um, I think it's also a lack of our faith, a lack of our exclusive trust in Jesus. But ultimately, the point that I'm trying to make is the Holy Spirit's primary purpose is to magnify Jesus. And Jesus elaborates further. He says, when the Holy Spirit, when this helper comes, he will convict the world. And again, this word convict is legal language. It's a technical term, electo. And basically, it means to expose, uh, to prove wrong. Not just in an, in an intellectual way, but to, in a disgraceful way to showcase, almost like you're taunting somebody, that this way of your thinking is completely erroneous, completely off. He will convict the world concerning three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's a little enigmatic. Why sin? Okay, sin, we've been talking about that. It is, it is important for us to understand the gospel of Jesus. But, but righteousness, what, what does that even mean? Judgment? Isn't that the same thing as sin? We're going to unpack this. But for those of us, maybe your attention span isn't all that great. Maybe you don't really care so much about the nitty-gritty details of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The TLDR, the short version of this is all three of these things pertain to us not magnifying Jesus. Um, if you want to use the, the phrase that we've been using about sin, us distorting, suppressing, rejecting God's character and his involvement, you can substitute Jesus' character, his involvement in our lives. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. The reason why the Spirit is after those three things, and he does it in a rebuking, exposing way, is because these are some of the reasons why we misunderstand, distort Jesus, and why Jesus is not magnified in our lives. And that's why Jesus is saying, of all the things that the Spirit can do, He's going to bear witness about me. He's going to convict the world about these three things. He's going to exalt me. And sin, let's just take these things one by one. Sin because they do not believe in me. The world does not believe in Jesus Christ. And again, we see a strong connection between sin and an unbelief of Jesus. A distortion, a suppression, or a flat-out rejection to his claims. And he's saying, the Spirit needs to convict the world, including us, of our sin, the ways that we fail to believe in Jesus' character, his involvement, his claims, his promises in our lives. 
Spirit needs to convict us. Spirit needs to convict the world. Because that sin, that unbelief, is preventing us from magnifying Jesus and giving him the glory that he deserves. The Spirit needs to convict that. That's not just through eloquent preaching. I mean, Jesus himself could have convicted the world. If there is an eloquent preacher, it is Jesus. But Jesus says, no, no, the Spirit needs to do this. The Spirit, and that's why it says in Romans 2, only by God's kindness can we be led to repentance. It's only by God's work through the Spirit that we can be convicted of our sin. Of the ways that we fail to believe and see Jesus in our lives. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me, or you'll see me no longer. Again, this is a little bit more enigmatic, but it's in a nutshell the same point. Is If you read through the Gospel of John, and if you read it carefully, one of the things that Jesus repeatedly says is this phrase, I'm about to go to the Father, you will no longer see me. You'll see this especially in John chapter 7, John chapter 8, even John chapter 9. It's littered throughout the Gospel of John. And the reason why Jesus is, this is Jesus' go-to phrase, is he usually says this whenever people are accusing Jesus of his identity and his claims. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, are saying, Jesus, you're saying you're the Son of God? You're saying you're the Messiah? You're saying you're all these things, this and that? Prove it. Prove your righteousness to me. And Jesus says, you want me to prove my righteousness? I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to go back to the Father. As he says in John chapter 3, nobody has ever ascended to the Father. Nobody. Nobody is that righteous except me. Nobody until I've stepped into the scene. Jesus saying is, I am the embodiment, the definition of righteousness. And this world fails to see that. And what the Spirit is, needs to do in terms of this verse is the Spirit needs to convict us, expose of our erroneous ways of thinking of righteousness, of what we think is right. We can probably do a whole sermon on this topic. Um, we won't do that because I want to keep this not too long. But even for many of us, we have our own false impressions of what righteousness is. We would never use the word righteous because that is a very archaic biblical term. But what we think is right. If we came off a long day of work and it was very stressful, we think it is right for us to demand certain people to be more sensitive to our needs. And when those expectations are not met, we snap. We think it is right for if us, if we put in all the hours for us to be compensated. There's so many misguided views of righteousness even in our own lives. What the Spirit needs to convict us, expose us, put us into disgrace, as the word electo imply, implies, is no, 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 that's not right. What is right is how Jesus, who Jesus is. In the moments of us demanding what we think is fair, Jesus, turn the other cheek. Jesus gave up his own body. What is our definition of right or even righteousness? And many times when we snap or when we feel frustrated, it's because we feel like there's a sense of righteousness 
that we have that is actually wrong. Holy Spirit needs to convict that and show us, no, Jesus offered a better way. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, is even the world having a misdistorted, messed up version of righteousness, the world has a messed up, distorted version of judgment. They're judging Jesus. They're judging his claims, and they are completely off. And I'm not talking about even in our context, not even just secular society, but even ourselves, those who grew up in the church, we judge Jesus. We make these, we have these false expectations of how Jesus should be living in our lives or interacting in our lives or working in our lives that are just false. And the Holy Spirit needs to convict us of that. And the first person, the reason why it references the ruler of this world, which is really a metonym of Satan, is when it comes to God's judgment, it, is, it first starts with Satan. But then it will progress to us. And when God judges us, and God judges our misjudgment, it's not the judgment of, did we get two plus two wrong? It's not these trivial things. Ultimately, what God is going to judge our judgment on is how do we view Jesus Christ? Everything is centered, as we can see, sin, righteousness, judgment, centered on us seeing Jesus for who he is and submitting to that. That is the Spirit's primary purpose, primary aim. And when we think about that, then I think this clears up a misunderstanding. Because many times when we think about, when we try to gauge the activity, the involvement of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we gravitate towards miraculous things or just these really just unrealistic things that are not really grounded in Scripture. But as Jesus himself says, if the primary purpose is the Spirit is convicting us so that we magnify Jesus more, if that is the criteria, if that is the measurement, then for those who submit to the gospel, I think it's abundantly clear. Spirit is at work in your life. Over the past month, whether it's through a sermon, whether it's through a quiet time, whether it's through a life group meeting, whether it's through, I don't know, just a random video that you saw, whatever it is, in what ways do you feel compelled to magnify Jesus? In what ways are you reminded of the supremacy of Jesus? In what ways do you feel like, it could be small, you know what, I didn't feel like going to Sunday service, I didn't feel like going to small group, but I just feel like I, I really need to. I really feel like I should. That is the Spirit. In His own personal way, relative to your situation, is trying to magnify the role, the centrality of Jesus in your life. And when we think about the Spirit in those terms, we recognize, wow, the Spirit is so active in my life. He is constantly reminding me of Jesus. He is constantly conforming me to Jesus' likeness. Um, we're not going to cover these in great detail, but um, this is the way Jesus kind of ends. I still have many things to say to you, <laughs> even with the topic of, of the Holy Spirit. I feel like there's so many things to be said but you cannot bear them now. So for the purposes of this sermon, 
That's why we have a whole sermon series on the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes to you, He will guide you into all the truth. Like I mentioned, it's a very personal, intimate, relational type of dynamic. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Um, you know, as we reflect... I've on, on the, the role of the Holy Spirit, especially from Jesus' own lips. I think there are three things that I really want us to reflect upon as we respond to God's word today. Is First is, Holy Spirit is a person who cares deeply about you. There is a relationality. He understands our emotions. There is empathy. And it is more advantageous that the Spirit is in us than even walking alongside physical Jesus because it means that every specific aspect of our lives, Spirit is present. It means every baby step that we have ever taken towards godliness, towards pleasing Jesus, was because the Spirit is the one willing us. And the last thing that I want us to reflect upon is how have, how has the Spirit been magnifying Jesus in your life these days? And if you really can't think of an instance over the past few weeks, month, uh, please, please come talk to me. Because I think that is a serious issue. If you don't see the Spirit's activity in your life, um, it might be because you're misinterpreting the way God is working in your life. Or it might be because it, it, there might be a greater concern. And as a pastor, I think that is the ultimate concern. Um, and even for you as an individual, the ultimate concern is, is the Spirit living inside you? Do you sense His activity? Um, it is a very important question that you should not delay. So please, um, I ask you urgently to reach out to me. I would love to walk you through with that and see maybe the Spirit is working in your life. That is such a critical, critical question. So at this time, I'm going to give us an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit. And as we do uh, every week, there are a variety of ways of us responding to the Spirit. We can pray in reflection. Um, feel free to text away any prayer requests, um, prayers that you might have, questions that you might have of, of clarity. Again, the Spirit, one of His roles is to guide us into truth. So if you have questions, let's turn to the Spirit. And one way to do that is through text messaging. All these text messages are anonymous. Uh, I also want to remind us of the offering um, that you can do via the, the link that is there. So at this moment, I just want to give us an opportunity to just really respond to what the Spirit may be placing on our hearts um, before we move any further.